Welcome to Parenting Today's Teens, a daily podcast that provides stories, insights, and wisdom to help you gain a deeper relationship with your teen. On today's episode, Mark Gregston answers some of your most pressing questions. Let's hear what he has to say. I absolutely love the questions that everybody sends in because it gives us an opportunity to to respond to the specifics of um, of families and what they're actually dealing with, and and um, it gives me a ton of time to think through uh, just answers and and they're they're very practical. I, I mean. I, I think I'm I'm so much about the practical that I, because I want something to work rather than the philosophical that you know sounds good but isn't worth anything when you try to put it into practice. Anyway, the questions that people have asked today, and and this one gets me uh, kind of charged up a little bit because I think it's true. The church, when eighty percent of kids are leaving the church upon graduation from high school, and they take this little hiatus and they come back later. But this mom asks a question: What can you do when your teen doesn't want to talk to you to you about God because he doesn't believe that God exists? What a, what a great question! And I've I've spent a lot of time thinking about that. Somebody else asks this: Hey, your articles are a go-to for my husband and I, and our family's close, and we're trying to, you know, do a lot together for our son is our only child. And he's starting to pull away a little bit. Um, wants his own space. Uh, we get it, and he's adjusting, and, and but he's asking for exceptions to our family rules, and he wants his phone in his room at night and his PS4 so he can play whenever he wants. Uh, we have a game room set up at our house, and he has the opportunity to do that, but because he hears that other kids get to do it, then he wants to do it. Um, and this and they, and, and this mom says, it's really not a trust issue, but it's rather a common sense approach to setting good boundaries to just sleep and focusing on schoolwork. What a great question. Somebody else asked a question, should we force our 17-year-old to come to church? Somebody else said, hey, I'm, I'm, our kid is, is, is going ballistic. Things get ugly whenever we try to take away the Xbox or phone. Um, and so our son blames everyone else or... Are, are something for what happens to him. There's a deeper issue here. We acknowledge to him that we make mistakes, um, and he won't go to counseling, and he, you know, our biggest issue is implementing consequences that an entitled, scared young man um, will accept and deal with, even though he acknowledges that he's depressed. What, that's another great question. Here's somebody else. Mark, can you talk about the influence of friends? Our daughter has some questionable friends leading her down the wrong road, you know, like smoking pot and other things. Okay, so let me start with, with this first question that says, hey, what can you do when your teen doesn't want to talk um, to parents about God? Because he doesn't believe that it, it that he exists. Okay, here's, here's the thing, a couple of things at the beginning. Um... When you start allowing your child to make decisions and to express themselves because your communication skills have gotten better, um, then you're going to hear things and see things um, that you may not want to see. But when you allow your teen to start making choices, some of those choices may be that I don't want to go to church. And the choice may be, you know, I don't believe in God anymore. And you know what? That's okay. 
there's there's really something about a child questioning that because what they're doing is coming to to a point where the confusion and the wrestling will bring them to a better point because scripture says that that you know those those seeds that have been sown in their life will come to fruition one day. But but I, I want to give you some insight with that. I, I mean I I don't mind a kid questioning their relationship with Christ. I go okay that's that's wonderful. You question that, and we're supposed to train up a child in the way he should go, and then a child rejects that, and and you kind of go okay well then what are we supposed to do? And it's a wonderful place to be when a child says I don't want to go to church. I don't okay okay look. At age 15, I want you to be involved in something spiritual. Now, when you're 16, you don't have to do that. You know, or you go to, to instead of going to church, you go to Young Life or something. I want you to be exposed to something spiritual. But somewhere along the line, it's letting them make their own choices. And mom, dad, your response will determine whether he comes around or not. You know, this is God's timing, and you got to give God time to answer the questions that are bouncing around inside your teen's head. Um, but, it, but in the meanwhile, I, w- I would ask this, and I want to give uh, another comment here that, that I think that might help just a little bit. Have you or the church done something to push him away from the church? You know, I mean, I mean, there's a scripture that said, if the Lord be lifted up, that he'll draw all men toward him. There's something about the impact of who uh, God is, the very nature of God, and giving kids a taste of the character of God, it draws people to him. And I know that to be true. I know that to be just a, a statement that's truth. And so it causes me to go, okay, is there an issue somewhere that pushed your child away? Mom, Dad, I'm not saying it's you, but it may be somebody at the church, maybe somebody else, maybe something that was said that offended him and that you don't know about those things. And so there could be something more than just saying, uh, you know, I don't believe in God. Maybe that's too easy of a way to get out of some things, and that may be a place to go. But I would tell you this, another place that I would go in this is I believe there's some church love languages. I I believe that, that really that kids... Um, have a love language in church. And and one of my concerns about the church today is that, um, and I'm not anti-church by any means, but, but we're so worship-oriented in so many of our churches. What if you have a child that doesn't really like worship? Wow, somebody says, well, wait a minute, God inhabits the praise of his people, and they've got to love worship. No, they don't. You know, somebody told me once that when we get to heaven— that it's going to be just one big worship service for all eternity. And I got to tell you this, in the back of my mind, I was going, oh, no, man, I'm going to be miserable. Because after about 20 minutes, I'm done. And that's just me. It's the way I am. It's the way that I'm wired. I love the old hymns. I love the new hymns. I speak at Gaither events. I can listen to those guys forever in a worship service and all that's going on. It's not the worship that appeals to me. And so that's not my church love language. You know, some kids have a mission love language where they love mission work, going someplace and helping somebody else. And that speaks to them loudly. Or maybe they like discipleship, that they like sitting down with somebody and learning and uh, about the Word of God and applying that to their life. And somebody is training them up. Maybe that's the appeal. Or maybe they like small groups. Maybe that's their love language, where they're enjoying small groups in such a way because they get to interact with other people and hear their thoughts and ideas, and they pass things back and forth. 
or maybe they like to study. You know, I mean, it, it, it's interesting to me that that some kids really love Sunday school. I've always been taught there's two things wrong with Sunday school. One, it's on Sunday, and the second thing, it's called school. So everybody's changed it a little bit, but but some people just love to study, like my wife. Jan can sit and study God's Word over and over and over again, and she loves it. She absolutely feeds off of that, and she'll spend time doing it. I can't do it. Fifteen minutes is about all that I can do. So I do it in little spurts. It may be volunteer work. You know, maybe your child has a love language for their church love language is volunteer work where they will spend time um, wanting to go to a nursing home or go to a dog shelter or, you know, go teach kids uh, vacation Bible school or be involved in an urban event somewhere or a suburban event or something. They want to go out and do something. Driving around Meals on Wheels, that's just, that's somebody's love language. Or maybe another church love language is preaching. Somebody just loves hearing preaching and they love good preaching. Somebody else loves activity. That's where you find some kids, they just, they just want to do activities with a group of other people. And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Please don't hear that. The activities engage your child with somebody else that if the word is becoming flesh in that person's life, then your child is getting a taste of the character of God by associating, especially our young men, because young men communicate shoulder to shoulder instead of face to face. But they're interacting with people and learning things by the example that's being set of a godly person before them. Or it may be that somebody just loves ushering and greeting. That's their church love language. They go for that. They can't wait to greet people and welcome them into the house of God. Or maybe it's the gathering of knowledge, that they're really intense. They feel like preaching is not good for them. They need to go a little bit deeper. They need to do these exegetical studies. Or maybe the love language is donuts and coffee because they love spending time with people. Or maybe their love language, their church love language, is watching from home. We sure have found out that a lot of people love watching church from home. They're more comfortable. They may be anxious when they go to church. And my, my point of it is this. Please don't hear it as being critical of the church at all. But when we only offer one thing to a group of people, if, if people don't like that one thing, then they usually say, I don't believe in this. It's not touching me in some way. And I think that's what's happening to kids. We're so worship-minded with kids and making sure they're in worship services that unless there is a balance of, of all these other things, then a child may not find their place. Because it, like me, if all we did was have a worship service and that was my involvement at the high school level, I can tell you that I would not have been involved in that because I'm more probably action-oriented, wanting to do something to help other people. And my point of it is not being critical. My point is, is being more analytical to try to figure out why a child would say, I don't believe in God anymore, when God is a God of love. It may be that, that the methodology isn't working, or has, uh, you know, and a child is being forced into loving something he doesn't love. 
I mean, I love coffee. You try to tell me I don't, and it's not going to make it. But you know, you know what? You you try to get me to eat foie gras. I mean, it's a it's some kind of goose thing or goose egg or I don't even know what it is. But you can cook it any way you want and do whatever. And and I'm going to gag. I'll be throwing up in the back of my mouth. And I think that that somewhere we've got to spend time thinking: what is our child's church love language, and how do we plug them in? So anyway, that's where my thoughts go on this one. Here's another question that somebody just said: Hey, my my son is wants to have his you know his PS4 and his phone in his room all night. And and this is what I would do because every parent deals with this. But you know, I I would tell your son: Hey, when you're 16 then things can change because that's when he's also going to get his license and have more freedom. But we don't think it's healthy for you to be sitting playing games any more than than we think it's okay for mom to be doing nothing but but um, gardening all the time. Or we don't think it's right for dad to come home and spend time working in the garage and not spending time with family. And so the same way, we don't feel like that's healthy for you, just to go in your room and lock it and play games the whole time. It's not what life's about. That's not what you need to be about. Now, here's the other part of that. When your child's 16, tell them they, they're going to have to get a job. Well, why would they need a job? Yeah, I tell you why. Because you need to quit giving them money. You give them less money as they get older. So it motivates them to want something different. You know, and here's the other part of this. You know, once a child turns 16, if they can balance their gaming, if they can balance having their phone in their room and it ringing all night and them picking it up and them social networking, they're still getting up and they're still doing grades and they're still all this other stuff and it's working for them, then I go, then it doesn't look like you have a problem. But usually that problem is going to show up in lack of sleep, inattention in class, failing grades. And that's where you say, hey, hey. If, if you can't get to bed, we're going to have to take away your phone and take away the PS4, but we don't want to do that because you're causing us to treat you like a 12-year-old, and I don't want to treat you like a 12-year-old. I want you to, to, to monitor this on your own. And so if you can't build the internal boundaries, and then, there, then there's got to be some external boundaries. And I would tell them this. This is what we want to see. We want to see that there's family, social interaction, we want you to work at age 16. We want you to develop relationships. And, and we want, to, want you to spend more time out there rather than in there. You know, when you're out of the house one day, you can do whatever you want. But we have some house rules that we've set up, and this is important to us. Now, what would, how far would I go with this? I'd take away the phone, cut it off, and I would uh, get rid of the PS4. Well, you can't do that. Yeah, I would. I'd turn off the internet to the house. Well, how can you do that? You know what? I'd turn off the electricity to the house. There's a point where you're going to prove a point to a child. You follow the rules, and there's a blessing that comes with it. You don't do that, and then you're going to be miserable. And so you have to make sure that there's other benefits that if your child's interacting with the family, that it's just not a real critical time for your child, or if they make good grades, that they're rewarded in some way for that. If they are developing relationships, then give them the freedom to go spend you know, time with those relationships. And if, if they've if they're got to spend more time out there rather than in there, there's got to be something for them to do. 
And here's one of the problems that happens. I mean, when you're in the middle of a pandemic and you have to socially distance and you can't engage and school's called off and everything else, what do you think a kid's going to do? He's going to fill his time. And so he'll fill his time with something that's attractive, and that's connecting with people because he's been made for that. They can do that on their phone and play games because it it has an amazing way of of engaging a child with other people, um, helps him feel a sense of accomplishment, helps him feel like a man maybe because as, even as John Eldred said, that, that, that every young man wants a a battle to fight, a beauty to rescue, an adventure to live, and they're finding that in video games. And so what that means is you have to offer an alternative to that because the natural tendency is going to be move, be moving toward that. Anyway, I hope that helps. Uh, somebody asked a question, should we force our 17-year-old to come to church? No. That's an easy one for me. At some point, you got to give it up and say, okay, this is your deal. you got to figure out. But would you do this? At 17, would you come to lunch? Now, I didn't say it's 16. I didn't say 15. I didn't say 14. 14, you're going to everything. 15, you have to go to two or three things. At 16, you get to choose where you go to church. I just want you to go to church. At 17, you don't have to go to church. But if you don't go, will you come eat lunch with us? And and what what you're doing is giving him the opportunity to start making decisions for himself, which is training up a child. And now you need to work on his decision-making. So you can spend time having discussions rather than lecture and start asking the questions, why do you not want to have discussions uh, on going to church or not going to church? Not arguments, but how can we have discussions about that? I'd be interested to know. And here again, your response is key. Somebody else asked, hey, my child was spinning out of control. They go ballistic. Things get ugly. They don't attend class. They failed everything. Last time, uh, they've gone down the, the whole thing of consequences through time limits or removal of Xbox and phone. Our son blames everyone or everything that happens to him. There's a deeper issue here. We acknowledge to him that we've made mistakes, but, you know, he won't get counseling. He, he acknowledges that he's getting depressed what do we do? Okay. You know, you're getting into some serious stuff here. And the first thing I would do is say, you need to be in counseling. And if you're in counseling, then I'm happy to make sure that you have an Xbox or an iPhone or TV or whatever. But if you can't go to counseling and get help, then you can't do that. And with school, you're going to have to go to school. That's just part of the package. And the package is that we will allow you to do these things, have these privileges, if you do these things that we're asking. And we'll be happy to give you stuff. To him who much is given, much is required, and this is what we want. But you've got to engage. You can't disengage. We're not raising you to eliminate you from culture. We're trying to prepare you for the culture you're going to live in. And it may be that your child, if they're depressed and having a tough time and losing motivation, they need to be on some kind of medication. You know, and, and I would tell you this, that after you've done all these things, if that doesn't work... That's where a heart light comes in. And most people know that, that I started a program for, for kids where they're spinning out of control and struggling. And we have 60 high school kids that live with us that come from all over the country. And parents have just gotten to a point where, where everything they've tried isn't working. And so they come and spend some time with us. And this is where you would get, if things don't work, do something quickly 
because usually things spin out of control even more. And the last question here was, you know, can you talk about the influence of friends? And this is always a particular one for me. His daughter has some questionable friends leading her down the wrong road, uh, smoking pot and other things. Can you talk about kids turning 18? Okay, this is an older daughter, evidently, and I get it. But let, let me assure you this. Your child is created to be a relational being. God created him that way. And, and, and so they're hanging out with people because they're getting something from those people that they don't get anywhere else. You know, so what are they getting from hanging out with bad friends? Well, they're learning to smoke pot. Well, why do they smoke pot? Is it, a, is it a lack of relationships and it's a way to connect them? Are they self-medicating? Has something traumatic happened to your child that you don't know about? Are they dealing with the death, divorce, or decline of somebody's health? Did their dog die? Did I mean, is there something that's motivating that? Do they hang around these bad kids because there's no expectations, there's no motivation, because they feel at peace and they find rest? When they're with them, because I think this world is creating a culture where kids aren't getting rest. And I'm not talking about sleep. I'm talking about a break from the intensity of a culture that you and I have said that we're glad that we don't have to live in this culture. And so they hang around people that aren't motivated, that puts more pressure. Matter of fact, there's really less pressure. Okay. Now here and hear this. I want you to know that I live with 60 bad kids. All the kids that that. Uh, that you don't want your kids hanging around, those kids come and live with me. Isn't that crazy? And this is what happens in the midst of all these bad kids living together. They learn about the depth of relationships. They get a taste of the character of God through those relationships. And they come to a deeper understanding of what it is to be in relationship with somebody else in a very healthy way. And it's by getting all those bad kids together. And this is what amazes me, is that the tendency is we, we eliminate a lot of these bad kids when really these bad kids have just as many needs as the good kids. Matter of fact, I, th I think there's a lot worse kids out there uh, that I would consider bad kids that, that are, are bad not because they smoke pot, but they're bad because they do other things. Uh, bully, uh, the way they take advantage, the arrogance, the in, the sense of entitlement, uh, the sarcastic lifestyle they live, the, the presentation, the comparison theology that they live by of saying they're perfect and nobody else is. I think those kids are bad kids in one sense. But let me tell you this, I don't see a lot of bad kids. What I see are lost kids. And, and the reason I mention this about lost kids I really believe this. I've been in Ethiopia. I've been in Tanzania. I've been in Kenya. I've been in Moscow. Um, I've been in the Ukraine. I've been a lot of places, and it's all been around kids. But you know what? I don't need to go to all those places to be in the midst of kids. I don't need to go on a mission project somewhere to be in the midst of kids. I have kids in my own neighborhood that need help. And I believe this too, that maybe God, just think about this, maybe God has placed those kids, those lost kids in your neighborhood, mom, dad, so that you can have an influence on them and give them a taste of something they're not going to receive anywhere else. And so my point of it is, instead of trying to always eliminate the bad kids, 
because that's what I've lived with all my life. Over 3,000 bad kids that have been sent off because they're struggling. Maybe if we spent more time trying to figure out how to engage those kids and try to figure out what is my child getting from those kids, um, that it might change my perspective and it would change my mission and it would change how I spend my time and how I spend my discussions with my child that's hanging around people that are not influencing her the best. You follow me? Okay, I know I've shared a lot of stuff uh, on these questions, but it stimulated a lot of thought. My encouragement, my encouragement is to protect kids always, but to train them up so when they get older, they know which way to go. And not be afraid of, of the people they come in contact with from a standpoint of influence, but look at them as a, a standpoint of an opportunity. Now, I don't want your child out smoking pot with other people. There needs to be a consequence for that. I don't want them doing something illegal or immoral and unethical. Um, I don't want them doing any of that stuff. I don't want them violating the biblical principles and values that you've established for your home. But I do want people to understand the motivation that kids have so you can engage differently and offer them something different because evidently, in most of these cases, whatever you're offering, it's not working, and you might have to try something different. Hey, thank you so much for the questions, and, and I, I hope my answers are giving you some direction um, that you can apply at home. Maybe just change your thinking. I would encourage you to do a couple of things, and that's making sure that you sign up for our Parenting Today's Teens newsletter, and you can do that at parentingtodaysteens.org. You can come to one of our Family in Crisis conferences. Um, you can do that. They're here at Heartlight in Longview, Texas, or you can attend one on Zoom. And just go to, to familycrisisretreats.com, I believe it is, or .org, and, and you can find uh, out information. But it's just family and crisis conferences that we hold that I teach at and, and help give you some practical uh, directives to, to helping kids and as they engage and are, and are caught up in a world that's a little bit different than the world that you and I grew up in. Hey, thanks for your questions. God bless you. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Parenting Today's Teens. For more information, visit parentingtodaysteens.org. And to learn more about Heartlight, visit heartlightministries.org. If this podcast has been helpful in your life and family, please share it or give us a quick rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Of course, you can listen to Parenting Today's Teens wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us back here on Monday for another great episode. We'll talk to you then.